Mark, you're going to read to us now from Matthew chapter 3. Friends, it will be on the screen. If you've got your own Bibles, pop your Bibles open up. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. And we're going to read through chapter, to chapter 4, verse 11. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Great to see you again, everyone, this morning. Really glad to be here at church with you. Uh, when I was studying at Bible College, I was living in Sydney, and we, a bunch of us, <clears throat> pardon me, would get together uh, once a week, and we'd go and do uh, what's called walk-up evangelism. That is, we'd um, jump to the unit. There's a Sydney University was right next door to us. We'd jump into Sydney Uni and just spend an hour. We'd walk up, we'd meet people, and we'd kind of talk with them about Jesus. It was. A, I'll be honest, it's a little bit intimidating, yes. Um, but it's also really fun. Actually, I went thinking, no one's ever really going to want to talk to us about this, are they? But actually, I did it for a full year before I had anyone say, no thanks, I don't want to chat with you. Anyhow, what I'd often do, I'd meet someone, get to know them a little bit, and what are you studying, and how's it going, you feel like you've made the right choice. And then we'd, I'd ask a question, something like this, um, what have you heard about Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Can you guess what the most common response was at that point? I thought it would be something like, oh, Jesus is the guy who died on the cross, right? Maybe I thought people might say, he, and he rose again. I was wrong. That was not it at all. The most common thing that people said to me was, Jesus, isn't he supposed to be the son of God? Or something like that. I was surprised. 
If someone asked you what you knew about Jesus, would your, your first response be, he's the son of God? I don't think that would be it for me. But actually, that is a huge part of Jesus' identity. What we're seeing here in, in, in Matthew, and in fact, in all of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, is that being the Son of God is a huge part of Jesus' identity. But most people I met, I don't think they know what this meant for them. They'd heard that Jesus had been called the Son of God, but, but what does that mean? Does it mean that Jesus is God? Is it kind of talking about Jesus like God the Son in the second person of the Trinity? Or is it, is it saying that Jesus is like another God-like person? He's kind of like God, but he's slightly lesser because he's the Son? Is he maybe some kind of demigod, part God, part person? Today we're, we're going to keep going through the book of Matthew. It's a biography of Jesus' life. Last week I said it feels heaps, heaps like a superhero movie. It's got all the features there. Maybe, maybe Marvel have come across and they've just stolen their storylines from the Gospel of Matthew. Last week we met the, the, the older, wiser guy, John the Baptist. He's the predecessor to the real hero coming along. But this week Jesus comes on. He arrives on the scene. The real hero is here. We see two things that often you see in the superhero movies. The, the hero gets some form of supernatural reassurance that he is walking on the right path. The, the, the true hero uh, comes up against his first battle and he's successful in his first great fight. All of this happens in, in, in the passage we've just read today. But as it happens, we're being told again and again, who is this hero? Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. The people who I was meeting at Sydney University, they were right. They had it spot on. But today we're going to see, at least in part, what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God and why that has huge implications, even for us now, in 2021, sitting here in Paranka Primary School Hall. So let's get started. It all starts when God says, Jesus is my Son. And this happens at his baptism. You know, Jesus' baptism should be a surprising thing for us. Perhaps it isn't because we've heard it so many times. But, but think about it for a moment. John's baptism was all about confession of sins and repentance. It's, it's about admitting you've done wrong and turning back to God. If that's what John's baptism is about, why is Jesus being baptized by John? It doesn't make sense, does it? And that's exactly what John the Baptist thought too. He, check out verse 13. He, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Why is Jesus getting baptized? You know when you uh, go to the footy um, and say it's the, the, the showdown, right? The, the Crows versus Port. For most people in the crowd, you don't need to guess who they're barracking for, do you? Because they go crazy. They put face paint on. They wear these silly-looking supporters hats. Well, sorry, not all of them are silly. Some, I saw the silliest-looking supporters hat the other day. I was at an op shop, and you could buy it. It was a crow's beanie, but for some reason it had black dreadlocks coming out the back of it as well. What is the point of this? 
But you know, people wear these kind of things. They wear masks, they flags, banners, and they pull on their jerseys, don't they? It's a way of identifying with the players. You're saying, those guys out there that are wearing the same colours as me, that's my team. I'm with them. I might not be out there on the field with them, but they're me. I'm with them. I'm identifying with them. Friends, that's what Jesus is doing here. He may not need to repent himself. He's not sinned. He's done no wrong. But he's identifying with us. He's identifying with us who, who have done wrong, who do need to confess and repent. Look at what he says in verse 15. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying to John, Now is the right time for me to do this. I need to identify with these people. That's why I've come. It's right. In a sense there, Jesus is putting on our jersey. He's saying, I'm with you. I've come to be with you. That's why I'm here. And so John baptizes him. And then something extraordinary happens. At that moment, heaven was opened. And Jesus saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Imagine for a moment being there on this day. Perhaps you've come to be baptized yourself and you're standing in the line. You got there a bit late, so you're towards the back of the line and you've seen plenty of people go in, confess, get dunked, come out. You've heard John do a bit of teaching along the way. And to your eyes, this guy goes in just like any other. But then you remember that strange moment that happened. Something in the sky was wrong. And then this ghost-like dove came and landed on the guy who just got dunked. And at this point, everyone's attention is on, on him. Everyone's looking there. And, and, and imagine for a moment hearing that voice from heaven. This is my son. This one here. He's the one I love. He pleases me. It's not something you're going to forget, is it? And it's unmissable. It, you cannot make a mistake on this. God is saying, Jesus, he is my son. Just before we move on, though, I wanted to pause and reflect on these words that come from God a bit more. I was thinking this week, you know, what is it that pleases me? I love, a, I love a good book. I love a tasty meal. I love being able to sit down, put my feet up and watch the cricket. I love, I love my church. I love my wife. I love our kids. But these words, they struck me this week. What is it that pleases God? What does he treasure? What does God love? What delights him? Jesus. Jesus does. And it got me thinking to myself, well, me? Do I delight in Jesus that way? Am I, am I well pleased with him? Is he the one who, who, who my thoughts go to? I ponder what he's like, remembering what he's done for me? Do I express my, my love for him and how much he pleases me in the way I pray? Does it overflow into my life? In this world, and particularly in Australia, and particularly in Adelaide, there, there are so many good things we experience, all gifts from God. 
But here is the greatest gift that God has given to us. The one who pleases him. The one who, whom God delights in. Jesus. Does he please me too? God says loudly and clearly, Jesus is my son. Which is actually not the first time we've heard about a son of God in the Bible. We've met sons of God before this, did you know? In a sense, Adam was the son of God. He was the first person made by God. He had a special relationship with God. But Adam failed at being the son of God. When Satan tested Adam... Adam caved. And then a little while later, along comes the nation of Israel, and they're called God's son as well. Uh, As God rescues them out of Egypt, he calls this nation my firstborn son. But the nation fails at being God's son too. When they're tested in the desert, they grumble, they complain. They don't trust God, they don't rely on him. The kings of Israel were also called God's son in 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 2, God says, Now the king of this nation, this one is going to be my special son. But the kings failed too. They routinely turned from God. They routinely became idol worshippers. And even the best of them, King David and King Solomon failed. King David took a wife from another man. King Solomon ended up turning to to idols in his life. Time and time again, these sons of God come and they fail at being sons of God. They fail at being sons of God because they show they're not in relationship with God. They break relationship with God. Rather than relying on God and trusting in Him, they fail God. They fail at being God's sons. And then along comes Jesus. And God says, this is my son. And Jesus proves that he is God's son. Like Adam in the garden, like Israel in the desert, like the kings on their thrones, Satan comes to put Jesus to the test. Do you notice there's, there's, a, there's three names that are used for Satan? In verse 1, 5, 8 and 11, he's called the devil, which means uh, the slanderer. He's, he, he's slanderous. In verse 3, he's called the tempter. Pretty simple to see what that means. He, he tempts. In verse 10, he's called Satan, which means the, advers- the adversary. It's all pointing to this as, as, as Satan being the one who opposes God. He opposes God's people. He opposes God's plans. He opposes God's purposes. Satan opposes God's son. So this one comes along to Jesus to test him. But unlike Adam, unlike Israel, and unlike the kings, when Jesus is put to the test, he proves himself to truly be the Son of God. There are three tests Jesus faced. And the first test is about bread, although it's not so much about bread, it's about reliance. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and so in verse 2, it's a wonderful moment of British understatement, isn't it? After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Uh, does anyone do the forty? Do you remember the forty-hour famine? I did the forty-hour famine a few days, a few times when I was younger. Forty hours was long enough for me. Like about after twenty hours, my stomach was pretty much grumbling non-stop. 
Jesus goes 40 days and 40 nights. Clearly, he is hungry. To say he's hungry is an understatement. He is starving at this point. And so in verse 3, Satan comes along and Satan says, Oh, look, if you're the son of God, we'll just tell these stones to become bread. Notice here, Satan is not saying, you're not really the son of God, are you? No, 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 no. Satan's not doubting that Jesus is the son of God. He's saying, but doesn't that give you special privileges, Jesus? Don't you have special power? Can't you do special things? Look, God's, God is clearly not giving you food. He's given up on you, so, so just make some for yourself. There's some stones. Come on, you can do it, Jesus. You see the test here, don't you? It's a test to see if the son will take matters into his own hands. Or will he rely on God? Jesus, the Son of God, does not fail the test. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then comes test number two. Satan takes Jesus to the top of the temple, perhaps in a visionary experience, perhaps in real life. And he says to Jesus, you're the Son, we know it. So you can jump off. You know nothing bad is going to happen. You know God will send his angels to protect you. Hey, look, I've, even, I've even got a Bible verse for you, Jesus. Here, check it out. Look, the Bible says it. It must be true. Come on. Jump off. You can imagine for a moment that for Jesus, this actually is a real, real test. Think about it. If Jesus does jump, and if the angels do catch him, What an experience for Jesus. What a moment to be able to look back on. When times get tough for Jesus, there would be an experience he could look back on and and be reassured, yes, God does protect me. God will look after me. But to do that would mean putting God to the test. What would Jesus do? Here, as the Son of God, Jesus does not fail. Then there's the third test. This time the devil shows Jesus the world in all its glory, probably some kind of vision experience. And then listen to what the devil says to him. Verse 9. All this, I'll give it to you, if you will bow down and worship me. Notice this time he doesn't start by saying, if you're the son of God, because clearly the son of God would not worship Satan. But Jesus is still being tested as the son of God. Because think about it for a minute. The son of God will inherit the world. The son of God will get all the glory. God has promised to give it to him. But God's path will take Jesus To glory only through the agony of the cross. Satan's offering a shortcut. He's saying, forget about that. Don't worry about the suffering. You don't have to go to the cross. Just get the glory now. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. It's a test. Will Jesus take the quick and easy path to glory? No. 
You know the answer now, don't you? Jesus, the Son of God, he does not fail. So here is a profound moment in human history, friends. Up until this point, every son of God has failed. Up until this moment, every human being, bar none, each of us has failed when put to the test. When we're faced with a choice, what have we done? But here we meet one who doesn't. Someone different. In a sense, a new hero has emerged from amongst humanity. Here is the true Son of God. And really here, Jesus is showing us what it means to be the Son of God. He's the Son of God because he relates to the Father as a son should. He loves God like a son loves his father. He remains faithful to God like a son remains faithful to his father. He trusts, he obeys God. Jesus proves he's the son of God. It's a relational term. It's talking about how Jesus and, and the, as, as the son and God as the father relate to each other. Jesus proves himself to be the true son of God. And so again we get a sense, how pleasing must Jesus be to God? That's the end of Matthew today. Let me offer us a few reflections on, on, on what this means for us. We see here in, in, in these narrative about the temptation, we see uh, part of the nature of sin. That is, sin is to take. That's the test that Jesus has, is under at each point. Will he Take what he wants, or will he rely on God to provide? Will he take the initiative? Will he force God into action, or will he trust God's words and God's promises to him? Will he take the glory by walking down the easy path, or will he walk the road that God has laid before him? So much of sin is about trying to take, 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 take for ourselves. But notice this. Jesus has no need to take for himself, does he? Because God provides for him. That's what verse 11 is about. Verse 11. Then, after the, level, the, the, uh, then after the devil left him, Jesus killed over and died because nothing happened? No. Then after the devil left him, angels came and attended him. God provides for his son. Angels come. The food that he was after, God provides through them. And as all this happens, there's, there's a moment here, a real experience that later on Jesus is going to be able to look back on. And remember, God provided. God took care. God protected. And at the right time, God does shower Jesus in glory. And he'll continue to do that into the far reaches of eternity. So often sin is about taking, taking, taking for myself. But the Son of God doesn't take for himself because he knows God as his Father. And he knows God will be generous. When we know God as the good giver, we don't have to keep taking, taking, taking for ourselves. Second conclusion. The person that Matthew wants us to be like here is, is Jesus. 
In a sense, the passage is kind of pointing to Jesus as the hero. And whenever you see a hero in a, in a story, he's, he's the one you, you, we, we want to follow, we want to be like. He's the example for us. In a sense, Matthew is posing the question to us, when we're being tested or tempted, what will we do? Will we take what we want or we rely on God? Will we put God to the test or will we trust the promises of his word? Will we compromise and take worldly glory now or will we follow our Lord Jesus on that path of suffering before glory? It's true here as we see Jesus... It's true that he uses the Bible to refute Satan's temptations. Every time Satan comes, Jesus quotes the Bible uh, as a reason to not do what Satan says. And I think knowing the Bible can help us when we're in similar situations, when we're tested. Because when we know God's promises, when we're aware of his agenda for the world, we'll be all the more attuned to what is right and wrong in God's world. So it's true that knowing the Bible is a defense against the devil. It's a defense when we're tested and tempted. But I think the real example we want, that we see from Jesus here is actually about trusting the goodness of God. Remember, sin is about take, take, taking for yourself. But when we look at Jesus, he shows us the other way. It's not to take, but it's to know the goodness of God. And so rather than taking, we wait. Because we know our God is good and we know he will give. Of course, that can be hard for us, can't it? Because sometimes God just doesn't work to my timetable. But at the same point, I need to grow in my spiritual discipline of patience because God is good and he will give. And that might not happen when I want. And quite honestly, sometimes things don't happen for us even in this lifetime. But that doesn't mean God has forgotten That doesn't mean God has let us down. He is still the good giver who promises to give us every good thing in Jesus. He won't let us down. Let's be those who learn from the example of Jesus here when we battle against sin, trusting the good God who gives. Uh, Here's the third conclusion for today then. Who is the Son of God? It's Jesus. Who's the Son of God? It's not me. It's not you. It is Jesus. Jesus is the true Son of God who perfectly obeys, who perfectly pleases God. Jesus is the Son of God who is good in every way. I'm not. I fail. Isn't that all of us? I can see Jesus' example here. And I might want to be like him. And there might even be moments in my life when I'm tested and, and, and I don't fail. But I know there are other times in my life when I'm tested and I do fail. Jesus is the true son of God. He was perfect in every way. And it's his perfect obedience that means everything to me. Because he gives me his perfect obedience. How will God accept me? It's not because I pass the test. It's it's not because I never fail. It's because Jesus passes the test for me. He takes care of my failings and he gives me his perfect obedience. 
You know, earlier we saw that Jesus identified with us. He, he, he likes, he, he's baptized, and it's like he's putting on our jersey. He's saying, I'm, I'm here, I'm with you. But we also see that Jesus gives us his jersey to wear. He gives us his clothes of perfection to put on. Not that we become perfect, but we're covered by Jesus' protection. There's an old hymn that puts it like this. I am robed in Jesus' righteousness alone, which then means I'm faultless, faultless to stand before God's throne. Yes, Jesus is an example for me, but he's also the true son of God. He's perfect in every way. So when I fail, I have him to lean on. Jesus' perfections make up for my failings. Which is why we're totally on board with what CMS is doing. This is why we love CMS. Because it's Jesus. They want a world that knows Jesus, the Jesus who makes up for our failings, whose perfections are enough to cover us all. Yes, we want to totally partner with these guys because they believe the same things as we do about Jesus. Because they want more and more to know about Jesus, just like we want more and more to know about Jesus. Here's where I want to leave us then today. Let's be those who battle against temptation. Who, who don't just take, take, take for ourselves, but wait on God to give his good gifts to us. This, friends, is a battle that is worth every ounce of our energy. For Jesus, it took a lot out of him. He needed angels to come and attend to him afterwards. Friends, I want to say, let's battle hard in the fight against temptation. When we're tested... Let's not give in easy. But remember, friends, in those moments where we fail, don't despair. Friends, don't despair. Because Jesus is the true Son of God, the one who is perfect in every way, who gives his perfections for us to wear, who clothes us in his perfections, so that when we stand before our God, we are safe. How good is Jesus? How pleasing is he to us? Let me pray, friends. Our great God in heaven, you are so good. And we see here how good Jesus is for us. The one who's perfect in every way. The one who truly is your son but the one who identifies with us, who takes on all our failings at the cross and who gives us his perfect righteousness. God, we pray that you would give us energy by your spirit to battle against sin, against testing and temptation. But Father, in those moments where we fail, lead us not to despair, knowing that Christ Jesus himself gives us perfection to wear. Give us confidence then to keep walking in the Christian life following you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.